Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. There's been tons of reporting regarding market conditions for trucking, but an equally important yet underreported, at least on our end, development for fleets is the rise of nuclear verdicts and how this changes the insurance landscape for motor carriers. Now, opportunistic lawyers and ambulance chasers have found something quite larger to follow, a tractor trailer. And for fleets unprepared or lacking the resources, one accident could result in millions owed from a settlement and even cost them their business. But new developments in Florida may provide a blueprint for combating the legal arms race. What does this commercial vehicle landscape look like and what should we be paying attention to? Well, folks, we're going to find out in this episode of Loaded and Rolling. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Watson. Now, insurance. Everyone needs it. If you don't have it, I really hope you have gotten it by now. For trucking companies, this is about doubly to triply show. So, as insurance for people, cargo, and property, among other damages, can get costly when you're operating a vehicle with a gross weight of 80,000 pounds. But when accidents do occur, everything is bigger, including the settlements. For those unaware, nuclear verdict is when a jury awards more than $10 million. Now, according to the American Transportation Research Institute, or ATRI, the average size of a verdict against a trucking company rose from $2.3 million in 2010 to $22.3 million by 2018. That's about an increase of 1,000%. Recently, Transport Topics reported that by 2022, the total sum awarded by juries rose to $65.4 million based on data from Marathon Strategies. Nuclear may become apocalyptic for smaller carriers who are unprepared. But the good news is, joining me to talk about what all this means for fleets is Joe Nibley, Vice President at Milepost Insurance. Joe has over two decades in the insurance industry and Milepost specializes in commercial auto and truck insurance. Joe, welcome, sir. Pleasure to have you on. So looking at some of the stats, this is what blew my mind. It went from around a 10-ish million to over 65 million. Nuclear verdicts are getting a little heinous. Uh, from your experience as well, being uh, you know at least over six years at Milepost, what are some of the changes that y'all are seeing in this landscape regarding uh, fleets being worried about being sued into oblivion? Well, you, you rattled off a lot of really good data points there. I mean, honestly, I work in the insurance industry, as you mentioned, been here for almost 20 years. And as I listen to those data points, it makes me wonder why I continue to do insurance. It, it has been a very, very challenging business. Um, the 10x increase from 2 million to 20 million, I've seen similar data points. I'm not sure if I've heard the one about 60, but I would believe it. Um, nuclear verdicts are a big problem, um, regardless of what industry you're in. It definitely impacts trucking because, as you mentioned, there are ambulance chasers. We see, you know, if you just drive down the highways, and especially in the Southeast, you will see billboards. Did you get hit by a big truck? Call us. 
And so we very much feel, you know, that the trucking companies especially are kind of a target um, for insurance claims in general. But we have seen this trend towards nuclear verdicts, which has impacted the insurance industry in terms of the insurance carriers. And they're, it's, it's a couple of things. It's their willingness to provide insurance in certain jurisdictions. And if they are willing, they have to kind of adapt their pricing model and their operating models around the reality and the inevitability of these nuclear verdicts. Meaning, simply put, they're going to have to kind of raise their prices to make sure that they've got you know, enough, uh, you know, enough rate to account for the possibility of that large, large claim or large verdict. And location matters. Before we highlight some stuff by Florida, I'm curious from your experience, are there specific states or regions where it may be harder for a motor carrier to get insurance or more favorable? Is there, is there like good terrain, so to speak, if I'm going to start a trucking company or have one and move somewhere? Yes, that's, that's definitely a true statement. Um, and, and there's a few... I would say recent regulatory or, or uh, regulations that have passed through in various states, which have, I think kind of altered the landscape for trucking insurance availability. Um, you know, what we're talking about here with Florida, is certainly one of those, and we'll get to it. Um, broadly speaking, um, insurance companies, well, I'll, I'll back up from, from insurance companies or trucking, but insurance in general is regulated state by state. It, it, you know, the business of trucking is regulated at a federal level, but insurance is regulated at a state level. That means is that every insurance company who wants to do business in a given state has to file rates with each state. Um, and in some cases, the, the state will require the, those rates to be filed in advance, and there has to be pre-approval before you can even start selling a policy. So the state-by-state -state regulatory nature of insurance means that you can see very different uh, prices, coverage options, insurance companies, depending on what state you live in. Um, now, to, to, to address your question specifically, you know, are there specific states where it's more favorable from an insurance standpoint? What we see, so we're an insurance agency at Milepost Insurance Agency, and we represent Berkshire Hathaway home state companies, insurance companies. Um, and so we have a view into what we see them charging state by state. And we sell insurance in 30 states with Berkshire Hathaway home state companies. The general theme is that if you are living in a more populated state or within a state, a more populated area, your premiums will generally be higher than if you're in a lower populated state or in a lower populated area within a heavily populated state. So like a good example of this would be in Florida. If you are living and based out of Miami, you're probably going to see on average higher prices in that location than if you were going to be in a more rural location, uh, you know, somewhere towards the center or maybe kind of the panhandle area in Florida. Now, um, you know, the regulatory environment has a big impact on this. Um, there are certain states and jurisdictions throughout the country which are designated in the insurance industry, and this is a great term. There are, there are areas designated as judicial hellholes, and, and you've probably heard this term before, Thomas. I know you've had insurance professionals on the show before, but for anybody listening who's not familiar with the insurance industry, there are places in this country where if you find yourself, uh, you've had an accident, um, and now you're going, you know, into a jury trial, you know, for this for this tort that, that's that's been committed. There are certain places where the amount of money that's going to get awarded by that jury is going to be extremely high 
just by virtue of where the accident happened. The rest of the facts don't seem to matter as much. So these judicial hell holes can be very problematic areas. And what we see generally, you know, as insurance agents is that companies will kind of, they will adjust what they do to some extent based on, you know, which areas are difficult from kind of a, a legal and a court and jury sort of a standpoint, you know, that might mean that they decide they're going to either raise prices or kind of really be careful with what types of customers they're going to provide insurance for, um, you know, or maybe they just decide, you know, if this is a judicial hell hole and they've maybe had bad experience with a claim of their own there, they might just stop entirely. Yeah. If, if I wanted to start a judicial hell hole, would I need to have a tradition of judges who favor towards it or a state that has the laws that say maybe I can get away with a hundred million or would it be something where maybe it's because of the state's demographics juries typically are awarding X by Y number of cases it's kind of I always wondered if it's something you create or if it's something that it just organically blossoms that's a really good question you know um one thing I'll say just kind of as a caveat here is my experience in the insurance industry, I've always been on the underwriting side. So I've never worked on the claim side. Um, not a lawyer, um, but you know, the 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 laws in the states in which we sell insurance and anything applicable to insurance, you know, I keep myself aware of these things because I know how it impacts our customers. But what I would say is I think it's when we're talking about like nuclear verdicts. You know, those are coming from juries. And I think it's something to your point kind of at the end there, if I'm speculating, it's something that kind of evolves kind of naturally, you know, based on, you know, the 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 location, the people in that location and kind of how they feel about big business or insurance companies or things of that nature would maybe lend certain places to kind of develop towards, you know, a tendency of 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 awarding larger amounts than we see in other parts of the country. Yeah, uh, we see that. We see that with truck stops, NIMBYism, and zoning regulations. If you try to build, it feels like certain areas, even if you're trying to build a trucking operation or even build something as simple as a travel center, certain groups, depending upon where you're at, will say, no, I don't want this. I don't want these 18 wheelers near my house. And so I was curious if there was anything, even from an underwriting standpoint, before we dive into Florida, if it was something where as an underwriter, uh, I would prefer to target areas that maybe had lower densities or higher ones because that could be impacting some of these decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, population density is directly correlated with the likelihood of having accidents. And, and it's pretty simple, right? More cars on the road, more things to hit, you know, more, more things can happen. And so what you see in areas like that, higher population densities, you're going to see on average more claims. Um, and more claims mean that the insurance companies have to charge higher. Uh, that's that's definitely a true statement. Um, part of your question a second ago, though, I think is very relevant to the conversation is that there are certain jurisdictions in certain states that we have seen start to take some action on this because what they recognize is the connection between nuclear verdicts to insurance companies to Let's just say we're, I mean, obviously we are focused on trucking here, right? That's what you guys focus on. That's what we focus on. There's the connection point to trucking businesses. And then it really kind of connects to the economy at large, right? So if you have 
a legal environment in a jurisdiction or a state which is particularly punitive for trucking businesses, there is a trickle-down effect from you know, nuclear verdicts to the economy, and, and it's a real connection that matters. And we've seen certain states start to address this problem because they realize that if insurance companies are less willing to provide insurance or they need to charge higher prices, that is going to have that trickle-down effect, which, again, is either going to make everyday you know cost of living go up in a state or i i would think a worse worst case scenario is you know businesses would decide we need to relocate to somewhere where we're not you know as where we have less likelihood to be um held to one of these uh nuclear verdicts and just kind of de-risking their business operations by going somewhere where they believe they're going to be more protected by the yeah, I feel like I've seen that as well, even with costs. Uh, there was a great thread on Twitter earlier of a person who, they're very proud, they save tons of money. Their, their warehouses were out of LA, and they showed the graph of their costs and their nodes. They switched it to Dallas, and they showed the graph and the nodes, and it was a dramatic savings. It reminds me of high blood pressure. If you have a legal environment, it feels like a form of high blood pressure for the state because you're just making things harder on yourself. And that's Let's dive into the Florida House Bill 837. I'm, I'm familiar with AB5, but I'm still catching up on my House bills. Um, this one's interesting. Governor DeSantis is working on it, decreasing the likelihood of nuclear verdicts, easing uh, things on small carriers. Is this something where, when you mentioned earlier, states can kind of set the ground rules for insurance? Is this one of those examples where a state is trying to preemptively get ahead of this so that maybe... Uh, it doesn't get harder for carriers operating in Florida, and then things get more expensive. I think what I, I think I would agree with everything that you just laid out there, Thomas. You know, what what I what I can't know and don't know is, you know, were, you know, was was the state legislature and was Governor DeSantis, you know, how much were they focused on trucking? How much were they focused on trucking insurance with this with this House bill? It's it's very hard to say. Um, unless you know them, but what we what we know for sure is that this type of legislation, exactly as you said, reduces the likelihood for for nuclear verdicts, and and overall creates a little bit more of you know you could say more of a fair environment from a claim standpoint, um, from a jury you know how much they can award for certain types of claims and and various other measures that kind of contain. Um, these costs and and really you know these again all these costs you know when you see these 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 large jury verdicts or these nuclear verdicts that doesn't come out of nowhere of course the insurance company can get you know that you know they, they may be liable to pay that amount but you know that that cost gets borne by society and it gets borne by these local jurisdictions is there ever a concern especially i know that a lot of these things settle before they reach a jury trial Another thing is you want to try to settle or during the discovery process, that could be really harmful for a small motor carrier. I came from U.S. Express and large carriers are typically self-insured. No, you can't go to a progressive with a $1.5 billion company. Um, does it feel like, at least from an underwriting standpoint, uh, speculating, of course, that larger carriers, even though they're more exposed to higher nuclear verdicts, like a $200 million for Werner, they still benefit because they have these processes while a small carrier... If I have an accident and I have five trucks, now the, now the legal firm wants to go through my logs. They want to go through every single bit of information, my communication, was there cameras involved? Uh, does it feel like this could also be something where we are seeing it worse 
because we're only hearing about the actual uh, awards, but not the ones that are below this criteria because I'm fearful I'm settling out and I'm that's making my insurance go up. So if I'm an underwriter, I'm like, crap, I, I don't even have it go to trial and I'm still having to pay out of these things. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, yeah. And, and I think you're, you're, you're touching on something, which I think is very, very key here that if the role of the underwriter is really, you're looking at kind of the end result of what happened and not every claim is going to go to a court and have a jury. Um, you're right. Some claims will get settled. Um, and you know, the settlements can depend on all, all kinds of different factors and, and that, that all kind of takes place, you know, within the claims departments of insurance companies. But in general, you know, underwriters and insurance companies, a big part of, you know, I, I would think on average, a big part of their rating scheme in terms of how they decide to charge prices is going to be based on the, oh, I'm sorry if my camera froze there for a second. <laughs> You're um, a, big, big, a big part of, of, of their rating scheme would, would likely involve the experience, the loss experience of, of a particular business that they're considering providing a quote for or a policy. So they're going to compare how many claims did you have? What were the amount of those claims? Why did they happen? Who were the drivers? They're going to look at all of these factors and it's going to, it's going to, you know, have some impact on what premium you want to charge somebody or, you know, in, in certain cases, if they're, if the losses have been large enough, whether they went to court or, or not, you're going to make a decision, you know, maybe we just can't even charge, you know, maybe we don't know what the right price is for or we don't feel like we could charge enough to kind of offset the loss expectancy. You know, one of the one of the things that I think is kind of proven true over time is that when you're looking when you're looking on average at at insurance and risk performance, um, prior performance is indicative of future performance. It's not always. It's not a hundred percent of the time, but the general trend is that the loss experience you've had in the past will give you an an indication of what's likely to happen. Now, there's things that trucking companies can do, you know, to kind of work on their claims expectancy, and they can work with loss control programs um, that, that probably can help to kind of mitigate future performance. But on average, that it's a it's a true statement that your prior loss experience will help, but will will be indicative of what you're going to perform like in the future. And exactly what you said is what you said is exactly true, regardless of whether you're at a court, a jury you know, the, the losses are the losses and you're going to, you're the, the underwriters in general will look at that to determine, do they want to offer a quote and a policy? And if so, at what price? And looking at from an underwriter standpoint as well, expected loss, loss expectancy and loss control. These are two very interesting things. I don't think a lot of folks in trucking consider is this with the rise in these nuclear verdicts, does it mean I'm going to pay more per month in a premium? Or is this something where as an underwriter, would you have to consider a special like, jumbo catastrophic clause that then you would charge somebody uh, in the event it happens. I always wondered if this is something where it normally leads to higher prices for smaller carriers and locations, or if it means that we have to add a new modular policy on top of it. Now I just got to buy it because I really don't want to be the one to find out what happens if I don't. That's a, I, I think both things can be true. Um, I think what you said at first, though, is is pretty accurate. Well, it, I think that's what we observe insurance companies doing, is that, you know, they are going to take into account, you know, not, you know, you you charge it, you charge a certain premium for each risk based on its merits, but you got to look at the entire book of business, you know, 
kind of nationwide, especially when you're talking about nuclear verdicts and assess the likelihood that you're going to have a, a nuclear sized claim, right? Um, and, and what you do there is you try to figure out what's the likelihood of it happening, how much do we think it is, and, and you're probably going to adjust your prices to kind of account for this may or may not happen. What it, and you know Specifically, one thing that insurance companies can do to kind of mitigate some of this risk, again, is be a little bit careful about where do we sell insurance policies. And if there are certain places, you know, whether it's a city, a town, a zip code, or even an entire state, if there are certain states that just have much higher than, than average expectancies of losses or nuclear verdicts, one way to kind of insurance companies might protect themselves is just to decide not to, not to provide insurance there. So, yeah. Um, Look at 85 too. That's what I'm curious about. Speaking of not providing and providing. So Florida is attempting to handle this at a state level. So we see a state making progress. With AB5, it was a, a law targeted at gig workers attempting to provide protections, and then Uber and Lyft managed to get out of it, and now it's unfortunately, uh, if, if I'm still up to date on it, it's now owner-operators and drayage drivers. In a state like California, does this mean that we may I may need more insurance, more requirements because of the impacts of AB5, or is this something where, even from an underwriter or a selling standpoint, does this make it harder to try and figure out California uh, versus uh, other states that are trying to do, uh, you know, limits. I see. Yeah. So yeah, when we when we think about AB five, and and this, you know, and, and we're definitely experiencing this and seeing this today as the insurance agency. We deal directly with the customers. We're collecting all of their their you know business information. We're providing it to the insurance company who's deciding will they provide a quote what the price is going to be. So we're kind of in that intermediate, you know, we sit right between these, you know, the trucking company and the insurance company. And what we've seen since AB5 came into, like, well, AB5 actually started a few years ago, but it got held up in the courts because, you know, the various various entities or, or you know, interest groups within trucking were trying to fight it. And that's what's interesting to me, I guess, Thomas, about AB5 is, you know, if, if I was to guess, I don't think that they were really intending to have this type of a regulation apply to the, the trucking business in general and have it have a massive impact on the order operator model. Um, like you said, I think it was more about gig workers, maybe the Uber lifts of the world, but the way the law reads, the order operator model seems to kind of be affected by this. And I think, so where the insurance comes in, this is a, a great question that you asked, you know, I'll, I'll look at it two different ways. One way is, you know, you have larger carriers that are utilizing independent owner operators. So these are operators, they own their own truck. They're leasing themselves onto the motor carrier um, as an independent owner operator. And, and that, that motor carrier, the large motor carrier is providing primary auto liability for all of those independent owner operators. The big difference now, I think with AB5 is that in many cases, those owner operators might now need to be classified as employees. And that the motor carriers will have to decide, do they want to do this? And, and one of the big changes that they're going to face is, is they may need to start providing workers' compensation insurance if they have to transfer from independent contractor to employee. That's a big decision. Now, we, we don't sell, uh, we're not involved in workers' compensation insurance, so I don't know that side of the story very well. But the other way we look at it, and this is more germane to, I think, kind of our customer base, is, again, back to that owner-operator who's leased on. If that 
So the, in a lot of cases, we think, you know, the larger carrier may not want to transition people to employees. So that means that owner operator's got to find something else to do. If they want to stay in the trucking business and they want to remain in California, one of the number one options for them is going to be to become their own motor carrier, get their own authority. And one of the big challenges that we see right now is they, they're going to have to get their own primary auto liability insurance for their own motor carrier. And that type of insurance is very different from the insurance that you carry as an owner operator when you're leased on. Um, one of the big differences is, is that, you know, it's, it's your primary liability while you're, while you're operating as a motor carrier. And the cost for that insurance is generally going to be a lot higher than what you might have carried as an owner operator leased on somewhere else. Oh, and about, yeah, I was it, about to say a minute left. The potential is a cascade of a larger risk pool of owner operators who suddenly need insurance and then providers dealing with California could potentially raise rates uh, kind of a lot. We are seeing that inflation is having a massive effect is another thing that we, you know, that's worth noting. Um, the cost of, of everything is going up, which means the cost of planes is going up and insurance companies are trying to adjust for this. But just one last point, since we've got less than a minute, is we look at data and we, we measure how many trucking businesses there are in every state. From 2021 to 2022, there was a growth of about 17,000 registered motor carriers in California. And at that time, it made sense. There was a freight boom. So a lot of guys would want to go out and try to take advantage of this. From 2022, August of 2022 to right now, we've seen similar growth. But the difference is it's a freight recession. So why are all these new trucking companies all of a sudden deciding now is the time to start a business? Well, it's not a great time to start a business when you're in a freight recession. We think one of the reasons is they're being forced to. They don't have another choice. They would have probably happily remained as an owner-operator, but now, because of AB5, they've got to go out on their own, and, and the insurance is going to be a big challenge for them. That may be the secret that I'm looking for on why they keep going up. They're being forced to have to get actual insurance rates. Now they're showing up as MC150s, full-fledged, not under the main one. We got to go in. We got to uh, follow up on that. I got to have you back on the show because I think we're on to something. I've been looking at FMCSA data. Uh, we will dig into that. Joe, thank you so much. Folks want to find out more. If they want to learn about MobPost, what's the best way to reach out? Yeah, best way is, is to check out our website. Um, you know, especially for the motor carriers and the truckers out there looking for coverage. They can they can hit our website, milepostinsurance.com. You know, we provide free quotes over the internet. You can call us on the 800 number found on the website. Um, and that's really the best way to get in touch with us. Perfect, Joe. Thank you so much. We may have struck gold in California a second time because that can be explaining why my data sets are skewed. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show. We're going to have to talk again soon. Sounds great. Thank you, Thomas. Take care. That's going to be a wrap for today. But those of you watching, if you missed it or you're catching up now, you can check us on Apple and Spotify. This thing will be published uh, usually same day in the afternoon. We also have a newsletter every Thursday at 2 p.m. That's going to be a wrap for today. Definitely check out Joe and the team at Milepost. We'll be back soon with another episode. Join us next time. We'll do it live.